It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is entertainer, actor, and comedian, and no stranger to Las Vegas, John Biner. He's author of the new book, Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime of Laughter, published by Boutique of Quality Books and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about John Biner, that's B-Y-N-E-R, go to johnbiner.com and you can follow him on Twitter at johnbiner.com. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ira. That was a nice introduction. Well, thank you. Now, you originally, correct me if I'm wrong, you were born John Biner, B-I-E-N-E-R, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And then now you spell it B-Y-N-E-R, so we could say that was your first impression. <laughs> very good. <laughs> I mean, Which I have no control, I had no control of. Okay. <laughs> now, you were born, as I understand it, you were five out of six children, correct? You were number five? That's right. And That's right. Do you think that that's what propelled you forward to the world of, shall we say, show business and comedy and impressions? Or was there something burning inside of you from even before that realization that you were the fifth out of six children? Well, it wasn't, there was nothing burning inside of me. I came home from a movie my mother had taken me to with Bing Crosby and Andrew's sisters called Here Come the Waves, around 1944, 45, somewhere in there. And... Um, when I got back to the house with mom, dad asked her what she had seen, and she said, let Johnny tell you. I wasn't expecting any of that, so I started thinking, like, and what am I going to tell? The thing I remembered, which was Bing Crosby singing Accentuate the Positive. Six years old, I started doing Accentuate the Positive as best I could at Bing Crosby, and doing the hitchhiking and all that stuff he did in the, in the song. And, uh, you know, and that got a lot of attention from, uh, you know, you six kids, you don't get any, you don't have, near the end, near... Five out of six, you don't have as many pictures in the scrapbook. <laughs> because they start taking pictures with the first one, then it slows down with the second and third and fourth. But I'm, I'm lucky I have a picture or two. And that was taken in school. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the name of that tune. I just I got that attention and, and kept on getting it from my mom, who would tell uh, people that came over, you got to see what Johnny can do and uh, that kind of thing, you know? And, uh, uh, that's, that's funny. That's what started. That's what started me being interested in being interested in it. And we're going to talk more about your book in a moment, but I just wanted to kind of flesh out a little bit of your story without necessarily bringing the book in just at the moment. But you, it's a it's a great book. It's called Five Minutes, Mister Biner: A Lifetime of Laughter. And I remember you from every show under the sun, watching you, and always amazed. Of course, I'm one of the few people that actually still remembers Georgie Jessel. <laughs> So <laughs> I think there are a few more. Well, the thing is, you know, as as, uh, as I tell everybody, uh, you, you'd have seen me even if you didn't want to. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was popping in and I had cartoon voices and television shows and talk shows and afternoon uh, variety shows and what have you. I was doing them all. And an occasional uh, movie for television and uh, and on and on and on. So I was, I was really, uh, you know, wrapped around the tube for a while. I would imagine your first big break from a national perspective was the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, no question about it. It was, uh, it was watched by millions of people. I mean, millions. Of, you know, you talk about 
Some shows get maybe 15 million people watching it. That's pretty good, you know. But he had 40s and 50 million people watching that show every Sunday night. People don't sometimes realize, given the fractured media we have today, how important both that show and later on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show that had that oh, impact yeah. because there weren't a lot of channels on in those days. And No, there were three, three yeah. maybe four. And uh, people watched that before they went to sleep at night and the Johnny Carson thing, and, and that attracted people who went to nightclubs, the night people. And so I was able to, you know, get on the stage or over the marquee, would say, direct from the Johnny Carson show, John Biner, and, and, and also with the Sullivan show, direct from the Sullivan show. Sullivan was an, an interesting character. The show itself seemed to be well-run, a well-oiled machine, so to speak, because it was on every Sunday. Yeah. Was he a well-oiled he, machine, or was he... Oh, absolutely. He wasn't an awkward kind of a guy? The first, the first, show, that, the first show that I did, um, or rather there was a show that I did where the president all of a sudden was, had to speak, and he was going to take a half hour out of the first, the first hour, you know, out of the hour. He's going to take the first half hour out. And so, you know, or the second, I don't know which it was, but, but the thing is that they were so quick, they were together. In fact, to get me on, I went to the dress rehearsal as a, as a maybe up the road, he'll give me a date, but they put me on that same night, which meant they had to cut time out of everybody else's act in order to squeeze me in there. And Ed Sullivan's talent was not only to, to discover talent and encourage them, which he did. He'd call you over and he'd tell you a great thing, whatever you know. And and he he had a he had a a, a, a sense of, of knowing what to follow what to keep the audience's interest, you know, because people back then didn't didn't flip around if they got bored with an opera singer or whatever else they weren't into. And 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 nowadays that's the case, you know. And and people would sit through opera. They'd sit through you know people reciting things and all kinds of stuff that they would not have ever ever heard done before in their lives and uh, and he was able to do that bring different things to different people and open it he was all, he just had rock and roll he had nat cole you know he had all these different things for people all the people were and the mouse for the little kids and what have you you know he just had that knack for for putting it all together like a master of of uh, i don't know <laughs> master of timing i think yeah master it- of yeah. He did have an impact on the culture, no doubt about it, because it was week after week after week. Yes, yes, yes. Indeed. Was he awkward in person with you, or was he just awkward on air? No, he's a regular guy, you know. I went over to his place a couple of times. I was invited in the afternoon. I have a drink with him, and we worked out in Tahoe. We did two weeks out in Tahoe at the Harris Club and with several other uh, acts. And, uh, and then he was a nice guy. He really was a regular guy. You know, I felt like I was with a brother or my father or somebody like he was like a father figure to me, huh. as a matter of fact, having a lost mind when I was a teen, a young teenager. Well, it was good that you, that you actually started working on, on the show because of that. You were able to establish that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. He was, uh, he was a good guy, and, he, and when he said something, he meant it, and uh, that's the name of that. You know, he just was uh, that kind of person. Did he have an ability to laugh at himself because of imp- people doing impressions? Will well, Jordan... You see the reruns, you'll see him laughing at me. You'll doubled over sometimes. You just surprise him with something and uh, from the dress rehearsal to later, and, and he doubled over laughing. One time he, inter- he introduced me, he, he interrupted me. I was working with Mountain Lake Tahoe this one time, and I was only like four or five months into the business, uh, card carrying. And I used to do this thing every night where I'd say, and now here I'd speak with his New York uh, accent. I'd, I, 
Hey, I'd say, now here from the Coper, Tony Bennett, you know? So one night, about three or four nights in, he decided he was going to walk across the stage, walk to me about 15, 20 feet away, or 25 feet away on his side. He'd sit on a stool, stage right, and he acted be more or less closer to stage left. And, uh, and he and, and he said, now right here at the Coper, and he comes walking <laughs> over to me and says, Holy Piner, Holy Piner, live audience. I don't say Coper, I say Copa. Now say it right. And he turns and he starts to walk away. And I said, now appearing right over here from the Copa. And he looked back and he gave me that, that's more like it kind of look. And I went, Cabaner. <laughs> and he could not stop laughing. He could not stop laughing. And there were so many different impressionists and comedians that did impressions of him, including, well, yeah. I, Will Jordan was one of the first, but... Yeah, the, he was the absolute first. Yeah, but clearly there's your take and others that have done him over the years. So I just wanted to kind of nod to how that all started way back when on The Ed Sullivan Show. I want to talk about your book, too, because it's, again, what's called Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime of Laughter, because you talk about a lot of these incidents in the book. And from what I understand, the book came about because a gentleman you worked with who's a co-author, Douglas Wellman, would take notes or would ask you or you would tell him stories about your career. And then oh, yeah. at, at some point you decided this could make a good book. Well, yeah. So I, I started uh, since, uh, you know, like five or ten years into the business, they would be, I'd tell stories. They, you know Danny Thomas? Yeah, and I'd tell a story about Danny Thomas and me and whatever. And they'd say, hey, man, you ought to write a That's a great story, whatever. And and I'd heard that over the years, and and Doug and I, uh, getting back to where we worked together on a show called Comedy on the Road, and he was the, he was one of the producers, and he traveled with me across the country and back into England and Mexico and all these places where we we did uh, uh, stand up comics, and I introduced them and blah blah like that. Anyway, he said to me one night, uh, you know, if you ever want to if you ever want to write a book, I'll help you with it. You know, and I put that in the back of my mind and. And here I am, uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, why not, you know? So I got together with him, and he said, let's do it. And that was about two years ago. And the book is now out, uh, available, as I mentioned, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And, John, when you were on the road a lot and performing, and I'm going to get to your Las Vegas years as well in a moment, but when you're out and performing, do you find, based on audience reaction, that there are particular... I'll use the word bits that are audience favorites, or do they like the just the totality of your performance? Uh, strangely enough, there are different times of different things that people like. You know, I'll just I'll just do it. I'll just do it, and they'll they're in a their sense of fun in any way. And when I do it, I don't I don't put people down. I just have fun with them. You know, like Johnny Mathis, who was a good friend of mine. I d- I've done him since I started. I said I. I was the first one to do Johnny Mathis, and everybody since has been doing my Johnny Mathis. <laughs> it seems you know, to be that. Way. <laughs> Cause, because my sisters used to listen to him, and they were down the hall, and, and, uh, and, and every time he'd get into one of these, I would say that, I was here. And I, I just picked up on that, and I did that, and I got a lot of laughs. <laughs> so now everybody's doing it. And the difference, too, from those days is that your sisters never paid you for it. Whereas now audiences pay to hear it. So there you go. It works itself out. <laughs> they were always encouraging. Oh, well, that's good. 
Since you my were my sister Christine says I'm, I'm the icing on the cake of her life. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. Yeah. I wish my sister would say that. I think she may. If I, <laughs> I think if I give her twenty bucks, she may say that. I'll have to talk to her about that. So it's good. Do, do you find that your your parents and your siblings all have your sensibility, meaning your sense of humor sensibility, or are you unique? No question about it. No oh, okay. Question about it. It's a family trait. No, you never have to say I'm kidding with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you do. You mentioned it earlier, or you alluded to it. What you do, you're not hurting anybody. What you're doing is you're imparting fun, and you are doing it in a gentle way, so to speak. I I'm sort of overemphasizing things they know about, but you push it a little bit further. Right, right. Well, there was a hilarious YouTube clip, if people can see it now, where you were on the talking about the Ed Sullivan show, and they were running out of time. And you brought out the, the two brothers who are acrobats, and uh, there was not <laughs> enough time, there, there was not enough time for both <laughs> of the brothers. So you had one <laughs> one come out. It's just hilarious. So if people because want, it's not the same without my brother. Yeah, exactly. He throws the ten pins against the curtain. They fall. <laughs> then there's the, the, the teeter totter, and he jumps on that to catch his brother coming down, and there's nobody. Exactly, and that yeah. kind of humor, whether you even have that perspective of when that happened, meaning when you performed that, I would imagine that somebody who was is a kid now watching that would find it funny. In other words, your humor to me is timeless, even if it's a reference to a cultural icon like it's all that many people may not know now, but the right. some of the bits you do are that way. So you can still mm-hmm. laugh at the part of it is the physicality of it, of course, yeah, as you in mentioned. This, in this case in this case, Ira, the thing I did was make basically make fun of the show. <laughs> right, exactly. Because he had these people on his show. That's why people could identify with him, you know. Not everybody in Des Moines gets to go to the circus, so you got to, you know, you got to, you watch it on television and you say, well, they can identify with this as, as well as the Topo Gijo, you know. Oh, yeah, exactly. And in other words, Ed brought the circus to us. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Let's take a quick break. My guest, entertainer, actor, and comedian, John Biner is author of the new book, Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime of Laughter, published by Boutique of Quality Books. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about John Biner, the new spelling, B-Y-N-E-R, not the way he was born, go to <laughs> johnbiner.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at johnbiner.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You've seen mobsters and cops face off on the big screen. You've heard the legends of Al Capone and Elliot Ness. But how much do you know about what really happened? Dive into the true stories behind the myths of organized crime and law enforcement at the Mob Museum, the country's finest collection of mob artifacts, history, and interactive exhibits. Find out more and get tickets at themobmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with entertainer, actor, and comedian John Biner, author of the new book, Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime of Laughter, published by Boutique of Quality Books and available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. For everything about John Biner, go to johnbiner.com and you can follow him on Twitter at John 
Biner.com. And John, when you were working on the book, did you look at it from the point of view that a lot of things that you did and people that you rubbed elbows with, so to speak, would not be able to be replicated in today's world? Well, yeah. Like a clean comic, for example. <laughs> yeah, well, there is, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be something to do that. You know? Very unique, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I just got to thinking about that, that a lot of the experiences and people you write about, you, you just could not replicate today for a host of reasons, one of one you just gave, but just also with the change in media... The impact, for example, that you are able to make in television would be harder today because of the, although we have more television, that's kind of the problem. It's all diluted now. So you don't have well, one. It's, it, it's diluted a lot by commercials. Remember, there used to be one or two commercials right. between things. Now it's eight. Eight. I counted them one night. Guys said, so we'll be right back. Right back? I could have painted the bathroom. <laughs> so, well, I make it a policy. Yeah, I make it a policy not to watch commercials I record so and then if, then play it back. If you were to watch the talk shows now, the late late things, it's not as laid back as it used to be. You know, people used to converse. They don't do that anymore. They talk about the movie coming out and what he got to say. He got the same fun, funny bit about the bit about the boom, but then boom, here comes Joe. Then Joe comes out. It's very fast. It's quick. It's you can't. You wouldn't be able to have a show with somebody sitting back like Johnny used to do, and he'd swing around and ask you a question. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so do you think you they're... Know, they're propped up, they've got a cushion on them, so they're always taller than the guy sitting next to them. You know, and, uh, and I just don't understand why there's such a big rush. But, but there again, they've got, they've got so many commercials to introduce and come out of. Well, I think also, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's a little bit of because there's so much media now that... They have to, in order to make money, they have to even put more commercials on than they did before. Now, for example, the talent scout show, the talent show, talent, uh, basically all it's, all the, all the variety you see on television now is a talent show. Either you can dance, you think you can do this, you think you can do that. And you think, you even make a sword. They even got a sword. It's like a talent show. Who wins the sword making? You did, you got it. And, uh, and that's the whole the whole scheme of things is it's not let's bring out so and so who's now working at the Claven Club, you know it's none of that stuff. It's right. all like new kids and then they they come back after trying again. They come back again. Some of them come back three or four times. <laughs> so, yeah. well, yeah, it is a definitely different world now. The other kind of world that has changed to some extent is Las Vegas. While you still have impressionist comedians and singers, etc. There's more, well, now no one's performing, but you had a lot of production shows, etc. Yes, indeed. It was all the big production show or, right. the, or the inner production show where they can just pay the dancers $4 a night and, you know, get, get a nice big show going. Do you remember the first time that you appeared in Las Vegas? Mm, yes, I was working with Mel Torme. Mel Torme and I had worked the Basin Street East in New York, and he invited with the Woody Herman and his orchestra, and then he invited me out to work with him at the, uh, at the Tropicana with Cy Zentner and his orchestra. And, um, you know, and that was, that was, uh, that was my first experience, which was uh, a really terrific one. <laughs> I bet. Oh, a little... No, a little Basin Street East, that was... That was oh, yeah. A little, fo- a little footnote to history is that Cy Zentner actually was a resident of Las Vegas for many years. Yeah, yeah, Cy was all right. I loved his stuff. Who was the one performer that you met in Las Vegas that either you work with on stage or that you met while here that had an impact on you? I worked with on stage. 
Right. Either you work with them on stage, somebody that made an impression on you. You've performed in Las Vegas for many, many years. But is there one performer that either you worked with on stage or that you met while you were performing in Las Vegas? Well, Elvis. Elvis was always a big thing in my life. You know, I was just a young man when he came on the scene, and uh, he was our hero. You know, it was like just just before the Beatles, and and he was very he was very good. He uh, he he uh, broke it down. You know, to where the rest of the world can enjoy that kind of music. You know. Did you ever do your impression of Ed Sullivan for Elvis? <laughs> Only when he'd come to see me in the shows, I'd do it. I do it always at the shows, <laughs> but I never just sat there and do it to do it in front. Right. Of right. But still, that funny thought. I did my impersonation of Elvis in front of Elvis. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> great, great. It's in, there's a story about it in the book somewhere where I talk about our first meetings and stuff. He, uh, he had, again, here's someone who had an impact not only in Las Vegas, but globally. And yeah. it's hard to imagine today if that could work, but I, probably not as time marches on and the culture changes, etc. You did a lot of cartoon voices, and you did a lot of appearances on various shows, including Get Smart, etc. Now, is this true, because I, I haven't verified it, so I'm just going to ask you directly, that you were originally cast in uh, Happy Days as Mork? No. Okay. It's not true. You I, want to hear the story? Yeah, please. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. I was dating a girl who happened to be uh, working, uh, had, had like a, a running part on, uh, on Happy Days. And uh, she was having a little dinner party with myself and uh, Ron Howard and his wife at his at her place. So I, I was over there, and we had the dinner, very nice. And now we're having coffee and cake afterward in the uh, living area, living room. And uh, Ronnie said, uh, uh, "John, John, I want to. I want, I want, they want to see you over so and so. There's this uh, character that they're working on. Uh, this thing, blah blah blah." And I explain what what's the character do? He's make a lot of noises. And think, yeah, he makes noises and things like that. And I said, well, you know, I don't I don't really feel like making noises. <laughs> so that was as that's as far as it went. That's as far as it went. That apartment, okay? Right. Now, in the movie for television, they do a movie called The Making of Mork or something. They call it. I don't know. They have my character, redheaded guy, in the studio looking at the script and throwing it down and saying, this is crap, and it's marching out off the set. You know? They took literary license, that's in other much words. You can, that's how much you can uh, believe in these, right. <laughs> in these, these things. Well, it's, it's literary license for a visual medium, I guess. Yeah, well, in I, essence. I, it's, I think it's uh, you know, a defamation of character for having me throw the script down and walk out, you know? Then who's going to hire that guy if they see it, you know? Right. Did you ever take legal action or not? No, legal. I was busy. I was too busy to take legal action. <laughs> I was, I was, I was uh, threatened to be sued by George Jessel once because I, <laughs> no kidding, because I made, I made mention of we were doing this thing and uh, Rich Little was playing Johnny on Craft Music Hall. We had this special that some, uh, Rich Little was playing Johnny Carson and, uh, and Sheila McRae was, was playing uh, Zaza. And I was George Jessel in the little uniform he invented. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking about my niece Heather and all these things, you know. And, and, he, and, uh, and I called my agent. I said, hey, hey, George Jessel, I just got this note. George Jessel's going to sue me for defamation of character. And 
And he said, oh, George Jessel, every time he's out of work, he, <laughs> he sued people. <laughs> He'd have to sue Nothing you. never came of it, because it was in the script. He would have had to sue the producer and the the guy that wrote it down. He'd have to sue you, and then he'd have to sue Charlie Callis and so many others that have no, done an well, impression Charlie of Charlie Callis did my impression of George Exactly, Jones. exactly. <laughs> but that's why he'd have to sue him, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you were ulti- you were the original responsible for that, so that's why he yeah, would sue so, him, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking at comedians, I asked you to pick one or two of your favorite comedians. Well, I'd, I'd have to say... Jerry Seinfeld, because he doesn't, he doesn't make faces. He's got a good character that he puts out there, you know, himself, basically. And that's the way it should be, and uh, I like him. I like him. And John, he works clean. That's another thing. <laughs> there are a few of us out there. You know, I did, this, I did this show called Bizarre, and it was supposed to go out to like a million people. It was just the, the first show ever on Showtime. Mm-hmm. It was the first one, first re- uh, regularly scheduled show on Showtime, uh, David Einstein. Uh, Bob Einstein. Alan Bly, yeah, I, Bob Einstein, Alan Bly, and, um, and I went up there to Canada to do that. And as you know, the Blys are from Canada, as you probably know. And, uh, and we had a great time, and, and they said that they, uh, Showtime wanted something different, something different, to, and they give us a... You know, there were no, n- nobody around to say, you can't say that, you can't do this, you can't say that. So we didn't, we didn't uh, take advantage of it. We, we used, a, you know, uh, the F word maybe twice in the five years we did the show. And, uh, and they were really in particular places. <laughs> it wasn't just thrown around like nothing, like everybody does. But, but everybody come and people would say, look, oh, my, that guy's a pervert. You know, I was just on television making a living. And uh, they never said that of, uh, what's his put him uh, from England. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I just didn't like the fact that they didn't realize that I was doing the script, you know, I was doing the thing, you know. Bob Einstein was a gentleman you work with and was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, Bob. I give you a little Bob if you don't mind. <laughs> and look, you know, I, I did the show up there, I did as best I could. That's you know? <laughs> <laughs> Bob. <laughs> he used to direct the comedy in Bizarre, too, and maybe, you know, one, God bless him, some little extra would would throw in a line that he didn't have in the script. There was nothing like that. And he, got, he, didn't, he really showed up just to do anything, maybe hand me a letter or something. And he'd say, here you go, Mr. Biner, or something like that. And you'd hear, who, t- who told you to say that, you? Who told you to say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a unique voice, and you, you, you've got him down. <laughs> After six years, I should. Uh, this is, I know this will be a trite question, but and you've gotten it, I'm sure, thousands of times, but of all the impressions you do, and I've said impersonator, impressionist, I'm kind of melding all those titles together, comedian, everything. Who was your favorite impression? Well, I like music. I like, I like to hear the band. It's exciting to me to do Joe Cocker or Elvis or, you know, or somebody that, uh, that has some just, you know, I just like music. And, uh, and, it, and, and it, it gets a good reaction. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking people have to laugh all the time. And they appreciate it. It's nice. It's fun. Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been entertainer, actor, and comedian John Biner. He's author of the new book, along with Douglas Wellman, called Five Minutes, Mr. Biner, A Lifetime of Laughter. We've only scratched part of the surface here. 
It's published by... 52 years, you're not going to scratch <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> published by Boutique of Quality Books. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And for everything about John Biner, go to johnbiner.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at johnbiner.com. John, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Ira. Really, you know, you're a good guy. You know how to ask questions. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you, you next... have a good laugh, too, and that's important. Absolutely. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.